Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's wonderful to see you today. If you're here live with us in Belmont or in Burlington, or if you're joining us online this morning, very special welcome to all. If we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Justin. I serve on our ministry team at Mount Hope. It's great to be with you in worship today. In just a couple of hours, there are going to be cars on the road and many in front of you if you are leaving one of our live services that will be in the left lane going about 10 miles per hour. That is one of my pet peeves. What are some of your pet peeves, the things that really bother you, that annoy you when others do it? You don't always get a chance to speak up about it, but they bother you when you see it, right? Someone chewing with their mouth open. Yeah, I see some hands going up on that one. How do you feel about uh, someone who constantly interrupts when you're trying to tell a story or talk? How do you feel about someone who's constantly staring at their phone while you're in the middle of a conversation with them? How do you feel about people who are always late? Yeah, there you go. Some husbands and wives are pinching each other right now. What about people who are walking in front of you really slow and you can't get around them, maybe in a grocery store or somewhere else? These are pet peeves, things that bother us when people do that. There's one that I personally have that I, I don't feel like I have any other outlet to get this out and so I'll tell you. Every day when I go to school to teach, there are students who use the word literally incorrectly. The other day someone said to me, that was so funny, I literally died laughing. To which I responded, I don't think you know what the word literally means then. We all have pet peeves, and here's one last one I want to share with you this morning. I have this pet peeve when I, sometimes this might have happened to you too. You meet someone for the third or fourth time, and they act like they're meeting you for the first time. That bothers me. I start to think to myself, how forgettable am I that you can't remember me from the three or four other times that we met? And then you start having those questions of, I guess we're not as close as I thought we were. I guess there is a distance between us. I guess we're not who we thought we were, right? You've had that experience in your lives before, right? Maybe you didn't get invited to the party. You didn't get invited to a wedding or you didn't get a Christmas card this past year. And you start to question, maybe we weren't as close as I thought we were. This morning, as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke, there's a question that hangs over every one of us. In our relationship with God, do we think we're closer than we really are? And so this morning, we're going to have a chance to look at that. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Luke chapter 3, if you want to grab a Bible if you're here live, if you want to go get one while you're at home, please go ahead and do so now. If not, the verses will be on this screen and you can follow along with us. We'll be in Luke chapter 3, and I'll read right from the beginning. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And if you're like me right now, you're thinking, I don't get what this guy's talking about. That's okay. The beginning of John chapter 3, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 3 is a very important opening. It shows us that there were all these important people in power. Yet God bypassed every one of them to bring his word, a very important word, through one person, and that's what we're going to learn. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, 
the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. The rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked John. And John answers, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. We ask this question, are we closer, are we as close to God as we think that we are? In fact, as you listen this morning, here's a sentence that I would love for you to finish in your own heart, in your own mind. I know I am close to God because. I know I am close to God because. And go ahead and fill in that blank in any way you'd like. And I am very aware that some of us might be sitting here this morning saying, I know I'm not close to God. I am, in fact, far from God today. Well, you're in the perfect place this morning. But for all of us, there's an opportunity to finish this sentence. I know I am close to God because. Maybe some of you filled it in with because I feel close to him. Maybe some of you said because I go to church every Sunday, because I pray regularly, because I read my Bible every day. Maybe some of you filled it in with because I'm a nice person. I was born in a Christian family. I've never killed anyone. And you find ways to finish that sentence. I know I am close to God because John that day when he begins his ministry in Luke chapter 3, John begins his ministry by speaking at a riverside to crowds that have gathered to hear him speak and to be baptized in the Jordan River. And John begins talking to a group of people who are convinced that we are close to God. He is our God. We were born in the right family, in the right place, at the right time. He is my God, therefore I am close to him. Some of them would say things like this. 
Abraham is our father. Therefore, we are close to God. It's amazing. John looks at them, stares daggers from his eyes, and he starts talking to them. He says, you brood of vipers, meaning you snakes, you people who have no idea how far you actually are from God. And John begins this ministry before the work of Jesus begins on earth. In fact, you will see this, that John's ministry is completely built around the idea of preparing the way for the Messiah, preparing the way for Jesus to do his work. And so when John begins preparing, he starts to address all the things that people have in their hearts that put distance between them and God. And he says to them this one word over and over again that you will hear throughout Scripture from John the Baptist. That word is simply this, repent for the forgiveness of your sins. John is preparing the people for the work of Jesus. And the word he uses over and over again is repent. Now, as soon as I said that word, repent, some of you have a little bit of a feeling that's already come into your hearts. Repent. Repentance. It's a church word, a word I only really hear in church. In fact, I'm not going to go to work tomorrow and hear anyone talking about repentance. There are no movies, no media outlets that are talking about repentance. Repentance feels like a church word, something I hear in church. In fact, If we're honest, many of us, and we know many people, who will not set foot into a church because of the word repentance. Because repentance means I have to somehow acknowledge my sin. That I have to walk in and feel guilty for what I did, and that's what church does. It makes me feel guilty, and I want nothing to do with that. For generations, people have walked away from God, have walked away from his church because of the notion that they make me feel guilty, which is ironic because Jesus died for our sins to remove the punishment of guilt, but we come in with this attitude of this makes me feel guilty, so I don't need to address it in my life. Repentance tends to keep people away from God. In fact, if you look at America right now, A vast majority of Americans pray regularly. A vast majority of Americans believe in God. However, it's not a vast majority of Americans who go to church regularly. And you ask them why. In fact, the most common response is, it makes me feel guilty. When John enters the scene in Luke chapter 3, he comes as a voice of one calling out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. In other words, Jesus is about to do a work that will transform this world forever. Are you ready for this work? If you want to get ready, prepare your heart for him. And the way we prepare our hearts is to repent. And for many of us sitting here right now, again, that word repent eh, comes with a little bit of baggage that we're not comfortable with. And so we go back to those things that we finished the sentence with. I know I am close to God because I feel close to him. I know I'm close to God because I go to church regularly. John looks at those groups of people and says, you brood of vipers, do you not recognize that your heart is so far from God and yet you feel that you are close to him? So he calls them to repentance. And this morning, if you're not comfortable with that word repentance, I hope the Holy Spirit will work in your heart to give you a better understanding of what repentance is actually means. In fact, it's a two-step process that the Bible teaches us about. 
about what repentance is. For many of us, it's that checklist of, I've done something wrong, I need to confess I did it wrong, and then I will be made right and I can move on. I can maybe even do it again if I want. For some of us, it's this this thing that I'm supposed to do when I go to church. It's this thing I'm supposed to do when I'm a Christian. Repentance is this two-step process that prepares our heart for the work of God. It's not God sitting in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to strike if you don't repent right now. It's God who loves you so much and wants to do a work in your life, in your family, through your lives. He wants to do something through you. But he needs a heart that is prepared for him to do that work. And so he waits for repentance to prepare your heart to do that work. The two-step process of repentance begins when we look back. When we look back. In fact, Luke would put it like this. When John is speaking to the people, he says, repent for the forgiveness of sins. And he would baptize them in a baptism of repentance. If you'd like an easier way to understand repentance, it's not increasing guilt and checking boxes. It's the work before the work. It's the work we do in our hearts before God does work through our lives is repentance. It's the preparation of our lives for what God is going to do through our lives. Repentance is the clearing of the ground, preparing the way for God to work. How many of you are gardeners here? I've watched my parents for decades garden in their backyard. They don't just walk into the backyard one day and pull a tomato off of a vine and everything's done. It's months of clearing the ground, preparing the soil, fencing the property, preparing the seeds, and doing all the stuff that they do that I have no idea about that produces the work. It's the work before the work. Some of us later today, we will bundle up for 20 minutes, do work for 20 minutes before we go out to do the work. We will prepare the work before the work. For many of us, this is what, how we may better understand it. If you're going to paint a room, you would spend probably hours taping off the room before you paint it. It's the work before the work. For some of us this past year, you saw this happen. In fact, I found myself this year setting up lighting, doing backgrounds, checking audio before every single class, doing work for like 30 minutes before I would teach for like 30 minutes. It was the work before the work. John walks onto the scene and says, there is a Messiah coming, one whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He is coming to do a work in your life and through your life that will transform history. But there's a work before the work. There is a repentance, a preparedness of our hearts that's required, and it begins when we look back on our lives. What do you see when you look back? What do your thoughts look like this past week? Maybe your actions, what you saw, what you did, how you spoke. What do you see when you look back? John calls the entire world in that moment and he says, Jesus is about to work, but there's a work that you must do first. Prepare your heart. The act of repentance, looking back, begins when we confess our sins to the Lord. Now, this word confession, like repentance, has all this baggage that comes with it. Yes, I've got to see how guilty and terrible I really am before God will do anything in my life. And that's not necessarily what we're doing here. Confession 
is this act of you stopping where you are. So for all of us who are walking away from God, to stop where we are, to look at where we are and turn our eyes back to the Lord. For those of you who said this morning that I don't feel close to God, A.W. Tozer, a theologian and writer, he puts it like this, every man is as close to God as he wants to be. Every one of us is as close to God as we want to be. The distance is not something that God put between you and me. It's something you and I put between us and God. In fact, this is what repentance starts with, what looking back starts with. It starts with this. Recognizing our distance from God is the first step back to closeness with God. Recognizing that my heart is burying all kinds of secrets and worries and sins and problems in my heart. I've buried them deep, and I don't want to look at them. But this is what confession allows us to do. It allows us to stop and recognize the distance that I have put between myself and God as the first step back to closeness with God. God's not standing there with a lightning bolt ready to strike right now. He's standing there with arms wide open waiting for his child to reestablish relationship with him. And this is the opportunity we have in confession The opportunity is to come before God and just open my heart and let him know what he already knows. To say it out loud, to say, God, yes, this past week, this is what I was thinking about. This is who I made the God of my life. This is what I was focused on. This is where anger and bitterness and jealousy and lust and rage all took over my heart as the God of my heart. Confession is powerful because it helps us recognize the distance we have put between ourselves and God and gives us the opportunity to take that first step back to him. I think in all of scripture, no one does this better than David. David is known for his royalty, for his military exploits. David is known for the beautiful psalms he wrote and the amazing things that he did in scripture. But David is just as famous for his very famous sins. Look how David responds to his sins. In fact, if you don't know the story, I'll just do a quick recap. David sees a woman, and he lusts after this woman, a married woman. And he goes after her, and he finds a way to get her. As the king, it probably wasn't too hard for him. He gets this woman. And in the process, he conspires to have her husband killed. This is a murderer and an adulterer. And God calls him a man after my own heart. How does that happen? Because you get to see what David does after he sins. In fact, David buries the sin in his heart. He hides it deep. He doesn't want to acknowledge it. He doesn't want to think about it until a prophet comes to him one day and wakes him up. And Psalm 51 is an opportunity for us to see what confession looks like, what the broken heart of a sinner looks like, and how much God loves a broken heart. He does not despise us when we come to him with our sins and our confessions. In fact, he opens his arms wider to embrace us back to him. Here's what David says in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions before you, and my sin is always before me. Against you, only you, have I sinned, my Lord, and done this evil in your sight. David runs back to God 
And God, with his open arms, forgives David. There's a process that he goes through, but this is what confession looks like. Against you, O Lord, against the relationship between you and me have I sinned. I broke that relationship and ran away, but now I turn back to you. So the first step in repentance is to turn and to look back at what we've done, who we've been, where our heart has been. But that's not it, though. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, there's a story, a famous story of the prodigal son. This young man who runs from his father in rebellion and lives a life of sin and eventually squanders everything that he has. And one day while he's sitting in a pigsty eating food that's fed to the pigs, he stops, he looks back at his life the way it used to be. He looks and he gets up and he looks forward and he runs back to the father. Repentance is a two-step process. Step one is to look back Step two is to live forward, to live forward, to run back to the arms of the Lord. In fact, this is how we read it this morning in Luke chapter 3. John says like this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, repentance is not just acknowledging or grieving over what you did It's living a life that shows that I am now a child of God again. I am in repentance as I live. It's not enough to stop and turn around. We are called to walk back toward God. My wife, Alyn, and I have been together for over 13 years, so I like to think of myself as an expert at apologizing. And I think you can recognize where I'm going with this. All of us have heard a bad apology, haven't we? You know what a bad apology sounds like. A bad apology sounds like this. I'm sorry if that hurt you. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry you were offended by that. I'm sorry, but I'm not changing. You know what a bad apology sounds like. But what are the worst apologies? The worst apologies are, I'm sorry... And then when you come back the next day and say, I'm sorry again, and come back the next day, do it again, and then come say sorry again. What John reminds us is not that we can't keep doing that with God. In fact, God calls us to keep doing that. But what John reminds us is that it's not enough to grieve over what you did. There has to be a change in action going forward. That we not just look back, but we live forward, living, producing fruits that bear repentance, that show what repentance looks like. There has to be a change. One of the classes I teach at BU is a class in crisis communications. It's where we examine how large corporations handle crisis situations and how they manage them and how they apologized for them. So part of the research is we look at how brands, so let's say United Airlines drags a passenger off the plane or BP spills oil all over the Gulf or Volkswagen lies about their emissions. We look at how people think of that company after the crisis is done. Every one of those companies issues an apology of some sort. You know, uh, we deeply regret uh, the consequences of our actions that killed 8 million people. That type of very vague apology. Over and over again, we find the same thing. Customers, people don't care about the apology. They care about what you did after the apology. And in so much the same way, John comes to us and says like this, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
that it's not just about what you said or what happened when you look back, but there's a second step in that you live forward. He says like this to the tax collector, if you have two shirts, give one, give one to someone else. He says to them, don't take more money than you are required to. He tells the soldiers, don't extort money. If you have extra food, give that food away. He says there is a life that comes with repentance that you're supposed to live as well. Ask you this morning, what does repentance look like in your life? The truth is, if we were going to finish that sentence, I know I am close to God because, I bet the answer that Christ really looks for is I know I am close to God because I have repented of my sins and I live a life producing fruit of repentance. In fact, that same David in Psalm 34 would put it like this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the contrite in spirit. If you want to know who has a close relationship with God, it's not the person who thinks they're perfect. It's the person who has the broken heart who comes before the Lord and says, God, I confess, I've hidden these things deep in my heart that have separated you and me, but I come today and I confess them before you and I turn around and run back to you and this is what God does. The Lord is near to the broken, brokenhearted. He saves the contrite in spirit. He doesn't strike them down. He doesn't run further from them. He loves us when we confess, when we repent, when we turn to him and run to him with all that we have. It's not enough to grieve over the past. We have to run toward the future God has for us to live the way that he has called us to live. The moment that Jesus has with Zacchaeus, if you remember this, he, Zacchaeus recognizes the sin of his life. He's a tax collector who'd been stealing from many. And when he recognizes the wrong of his life, he not only apologizes, he not only begs forgiveness, he goes and gives back what he's taken from others and then some. If greed was his sin, generosity was the way he was going to live. In the same way, you and I are not only called to turn and grieve, we are called to look forward and live forward toward the God who has called us to live that way. So why do we repent? Why do we do this? Because God is prepared to work in the heart that is prepared for him. God is prepared to work in the heart that is prepared for him. For him. In repentance, we simply prepare our hearts for God's work. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back as we close out this morning. For so many of us, for so long, repentance is this thing that we avoid because it requires me to feel guilty. It requires me to bear the burden of my sin. And this morning, John reminds us all in Luke chapter 3, repentance is the work before the work, the preparation for what God is going to do in your life and through your life. If you've been sitting here today saying, there's this prayer that I've been praying, there's this reconciliation I'm looking forward to, this deliverance I've been waiting for, there is a work before the work that God is calling each one of us toward. It's preparing my heart for him to work through that heart by looking back and living forward. Until you and I recognize the distance that we've put between us and God, 
will never draw close to him. I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning. It can feel heavy when we're told to look at our sins. But this morning, I don't want to neglect to remind you to look not just at your sins, but look at the Lord who's willing to forgive your sins.